Clarita here, and I've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. If you want to release your music into the world, DistroKid's the easiest way to get your music into all the major streaming platforms, unlimited uploads, and keep 100% of your royalties. And because you're a Design Freaks listener, you get 30% off. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash Design Freaks. DistroKid. Welcome to the Design Freaks podcast. This is the show about record covers, graphic designers, music history, design history. Where are my glasses? I can't see anything. Ever since I found out about this designer, I've been wanting to pay tribute in some way. And so this episode is to introduce my listeners to Chicago activist and graphic designer Lainey. She was originally Sylvia Abernathy, and she was the first female identifying designer to be credited for jazz album cover design. My God. So we're going to get into her background a little bit and going to also get into the graphic design sort of um, aspects of those record covers. Um, we're going to dig in deep. So uh, first, I want to thank the Jacob Lawrence Gallery for exhibiting her work. Um, and I want to thank By the Hour for hosting uh, the virtual art walk that brought me there. I also want to talk about uh, her, uh, her work was featured by Jerome Harris. He's a graphic designer and Maryland Institute College of Art teaching fellow. And he exhibited her work and sort of he introduced her to the Letterform Archive. And they wrote an amazing article about her. And I'm going to kind of reference that article as I go. Um, and his exhibit, Jerome Harris exhibit, is called As Not For, Dethroning Our Absolutes. Um, it was recently at both the Jacob Lawrence Gallery and Nonbreaking Space here in Seattle. So a little bit about it. Uh, As Not For, Dethroning Our Absolutes is an incomplete historical survey of work created by African-American graphic designers over the last century. These practitioners are absent in too many classroom lectures and their methods are mostly invisible or uncredited in the field. Um, this exhibition aims to promote the inclusion of neglected black designers and their developed methodologies and challenge the ubiquity of white and anti-black aesthetics in our design world. Preach. I'll put a link to this, but there's a, a place where you can go to the University of Washington School of Art and Art History and Design. And there's a, also a Vimeo that takes you, it's a walkthrough of the exhibition. So it's pretty cool. Born Sylvia Abernathy, both she and her husband, Billy Abernathy, changed their names. She changed hers to Lainey, L-A-I-N-I. She is best known for her work on the Wall of Respect mural in the south side of Chicago. So that Wall of Respect mural is pretty interesting. 
So Black Heroes was the chosen theme for the wall. And out of the many design proposals submitted, Abernathy's was chosen. So she got to design the whole thing. And based on the architecture of the building, she proposed to divide the mural into thematic sections, which included more than 50 portraits of Black Americans in realms of politics, music, athletics, drama, literature, religion. Multiple artists collectively worked on bringing the mural to life. Photographers captured the process. According to poet Don L. Lee, the wall of respect defied the modernist notion of art for art's sake, and instead was art for the people's sake. It was at the corner of Chicago's 43rd Street and Langley Avenue, and it was in an area called the Black Belt. And some notable images included Nat Turner, Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Marcus Garvey, Aretha Franklin, Gwendolyn Brooks, Harriet Tubman. There was some controversy since it became the sort of meeting point for rallies and protests. And so when the Black Power Movement came about, there was some conflict there with people adding to the mural, the Black Power Fist, and some conflicting sort of philosophies. The Wall of Respect catalyzed a larger mural movement in Chicago. Um, Chicago's known for the plethora of murals in cultural neighborhoods. The explosion of murals throughout Chicago is due in part to that creation of the Wall of Respect. And in 1975, at least 200 large outdoor murals existed, mostly in African-American neighborhoods. The Wall of Respect's success also sparked a movement of large open-air neighborhood mural paintings across the United States. Um, and in the eight years following the walls unveiling, more than 1,500 murals were painted. So, And many of them took the same name or took a variation beginning wall of whatever, wall of dot, dot, dot. Unfortunately, the wall, I think, was just, oh, sorry. No, the whole building was destroyed. Let's get into the four record covers. The first is... The Roscoe Mitchell Sextet cover by Sylvia Abernathy. The photo is by Billy Abernathy. Of course, it was on Delmark Records, but Mitchell was um, part of the Art Ensemble of Chicago. It really, the record really does look as stark and graphic as the music sounds. You've got these radiating circles coming out, like a radio waves out of uh, the central figure, um, and he's not cut out of the photo. It's a portrait sort of rectangle there with some tension. There's some pointiness going to the edge of the central black circle. The letter forms are interesting for the title, Sound Roscoe Mitchell Sextet. It looks like a custom font. And I say that because there are three S's and none of them are identical. However, the O's, the two O's and Roscoe are. So I don't know. The L's are identical as well. So I'm not sure what's going on with this font, but if you know what it is, this is the only one, the only record by her that is not listed on fonts in use. Um, and I'll go over that a little bit more in a second because I think it's really fascinating to kind of go into fonts in use and see what things are, where, where else you've seen them. I'm going to, of course, post photos of this on the website and socials. Just a descriptor here 
for accessibility purposes too. I mean, the, you have that really cool Delmark logo up in the corner, that really bold lowercase d outlined in a black square interrupted by an arrow under the lowercase d going to the right. Yeah, it's interesting that the d is also not flush with the right side of that square. And if you look at this, you'll see what I mean. There's a there's a line that's a little interesting. So, and then underneath Delmark, and I'm not quite sure what that font is, but it's a sans serif. Let's see. And then from the letterformarchive.org, unfortunately, very little is written about Abernethy's album art specifically. However, one can see the ways her approach to design embodied the same principles and values in her art to create work that represented black life on her own terms. So this is best illustrated by the cover for the Roscoe Mitchell sextet. At the center is a photograph of Mitchell taken by Abernathy's husband, Billy, in a style emblematic of the photography of the black arts movement which used high contrast to emphasize the dignity, beauty, and blackness of the subject. Abernathy packs a punch by using only black and white, enclosing the dignified portrait of Mitchell with circles that ripple out like waves beyond the frame. Abernathy's lettering adds to the hypnotic movement with a high contrast blocky sands that swings abruptly from bold to thin stems. Okay, they said it better than I could. Um, we're now going to make it to the next one, which I, it's really weird. And I love a weird and wacky, almost on the border of ugly design. And I'll tell you why, because the next one is the Joseph Jarman song for dot, dot, dot from 1967. And the reason I like this is because it's hard to look at. It almost hurts your eyes. There's a high vibration going on. And I want to talk a little bit more about vibrating colors in a minute, but um, from the letter form archive, I have um, a really great description here. So among her album designs, the cover for Joseph Jarman's song four is the most elaborate and typographic, making modern use of antique typefaces, including the Victorian era Relievo number two. That's the weird 3D one with the ornate frame around it. Super weird. Okay. That was developed in 1879 and Windsor outline in 1904. I really love Windsor. I love the whole family condensed, solid outline. It's just classic. It's like Perry Shell said, it's not retro, it's classic because um, you can bring it forward to modern design just perfectly. It's really cool. Um, so Futura Black and Broadway form a dizzying text frame. So yeah, so the, all of the album information, the song title repeated over and over, the artist name, so it's a border of typography and then inside that border there's another border so on the outside futura black okay so it almost looks like a stencil and then inside that the name of the record in broadway which is an art deco font not my fave interesting combo though all of these that she used i mean i could stare at this forever and it also hurts my eyes <laughs> so okay dizzying text frame is what they call it here. And then unlike other albums of the time that either take on a cool, mysterious attitude with tinted monochrome photography or a bouncy, energetic character with kinetic type, Abernathy takes a different approach. By only using contrasting colors of red and green, she produces a vibrating psychedelic effect where their edges meet, echoed by the optically ambiguous mirrored portrait in the center. Well, I don't think it's ambiguous. I think it's 
definite. It's not like making a vase or anything where it's two faces facing each other. I mean, it looks like a man with a beard and a hat, double like mirroring. The thing about the vibrating colors is when you have two colors and when they are very saturated, you have this effect. And I think the most dramatic combination would be red and blue where the colors meet. It creates the optical illusion of movement because the value is so similar and the saturation is so bold. So she uses in this album, it's red and green, and then the Windsor type and a few other things, the outline of the portraits are done in white. I'm going to post this color blindness chart because according to this chart, if you are colorblind and if anyone out there is, tell me if you can see this record cover, because according to this chart, the only thing that's going to show up is the white type that we see. None of the red, none of the green, it's all gray and white. So really interesting. I'm going to post the chart. So for accessibility purposes, you're not supposed to use vibrating colors. People can't see them. When color vibration occurs, the element most strongly affected by the glowing distortion effect is the edge between the two colors. This is why vibration is particularly dangerous in the context of UI fonts. Small icons and other detailed elements, which are not large enough to compensate for their blurry vibrating edges. So if you have a thin, like a little thin detail, um, it's going to get completely lost in that vibration because there isn't a field of color to even it out. So here's the same set of swatches, this time as seen by someone with full color blindness. And as you can see on the chart, Sylvia Abernathy's two colors are the ones that nothing shows up. I mean, you can't see anything there if you are colorblind. So kind of interesting. In addition to the often annoying vibrating and blurry colors, for those who see in full color, given colors of equal luminance, those with color blindness may end up not seeing anything at all. While there are varying levels of color blindness, it's best to play it safe when it comes to accessibility. And then they show an example of the trash can icon on the Apple watch, which completely disappears. So that designer got in trouble, but back to Lainey. The next album is for Leon Sash. And this one, he was actually an interesting accordionist and he played with Lee Morgan, which everyone may know from the album, the Sidewinder. There's also the rump roller, which is, uh, that is one of the most iconic album cover. I mean, I could stare at that thing all day. It's just the most successful warped type I've ever seen in my life. Just masterful. So what Sylvia did for Leon Sash was to create sort of a simplified American flag where a simple sort of black and white photo of him, his silhouette is up where the field of stars would be. So I'll read the uh, letter form archive again. For Leon Sash's I Remember Newport, Abernathy continues to play with contrast, but in a more subdued composition appropriate for the accordionist feel-good, straightforward tunes. Abernathy simplifies the graphic of the American flag with a few stripes of red and white and a black and white image of Sash in place of the field of stars. The album is topped off with stacked blue type set in solid playbill and outlined grotesque number nine. I love playbill. I mean, for a slab serif, it's nice and condensed. And then the eye of the grotesque, I remember Newport. It's no accidents that I love it. Um, 
uh, it's it's like that. It's it's just solid, nice, reasonable X height, um, easy to read, sans. Um, Delmark logo in black, the bottom right-hand corner. And that one was done in 1968. So interesting. And I, I was like, accordion jazz. So I looked it up. It does have a slight Cajun sound to it. It sounds like jazz standard, but with uh, accordion where a saxophone would be but not like it doesn't go crazy all over the place like a weird al accordion it kind of stays within a certain kind of low notes it's really kind of cool and and calming <laughs> we get to the album cover, uh, Sun Song for Sun Ra. And this has a red background. This is like a deep tomato red. And on top of that is just a swirl of what looks like she used ink to create almost a Jackson Pollock-esque circular effect of imagine just drawing a circle over and over and over itself rating out and out and out um, in varying ink saturations, if that makes sense. And then also rays coming out from the central point. And those are all yellow. So this, there's a yellow sort of scribbly, very active looking sun. There's a lot of movement. It's just very energetic. And then in the top right corner is that Delmark logo, nice and big. You love to see it. Sun Ra, Sun Song. They're in Times New Roman. I'm going to say Garamond for that one, italic. And that is the only white besides the white border. And I'm wondering why she chose to do that because her other albums go full bleed. So it's interesting to see that sort of framing Sun Ra. And I read another article about why she chose this imagery that he had come to Chicago and shed light. This was designed well after Sun Ra's Chicago period. He would have been in New York by this time. This is post-Chicago, but before Philadelphia. So I'm not sure. So, I mean, it could be that he his the light that he came to Chicago Southside with was still there. Um, and she's just paying tribute here from the Letter form archive for the avant-garde musician Sun Ra. Type takes a back seat so the illustration can shine. Abernathy abstracts a drawing of the sun into painterly swirls with rays of sunlight that beam to the edge of the frame. Fitting for the artist whose stage name was coined in honor of the Egyptian god of the sun, the glowing orange mass against the red background reflects the surge of energy in the Afrofuturist synthy cosmic sound. At the end of the letter form archive, article it says here the archive thanks jerome harris curator of as not for dethroning our absolutes for introducing us to abernathy's record covers her work contributes to our growing album art collection which represents a unique cross-section of music design and typography there is much more to learn about abernathy who passed away a few years ago we welcome insights from those who lived and worked with her you can email them at info at letterformarchive.org Okay, so there you have it. That is my episode on Lainey. 
and her four famous record covers for Delmark Records. She jump-started social justice murals. She also collaborated on other projects with her husband, uh, like the book Our Terribleness by Amiri Baraka from 1970. And her husband, Billy Abernathy, changed his name to Fundy. So that's the other co-author on the book. She just, she contributed so much. And um, hopefully more will be uncovered about her life and her activism. I want to just add that uh, it would be great if we could all keep teaching and learning about the many contributions of marginalized people to our country because, you know, their history is our history. And in my opinion, it's not enough to just tear down racist statues and omit racism. Um, I think it's about also building up those who've been dismissed and forgotten, amplifying black and indigenous voices. So um, I think it's a good thing to remember when hiring people, when building curriculum, et cetera. Um, and Jerome Harris said that we live in a quote, designed world. And I believe that, and I would like to add that design is intentional. And so is inclusivity. Thanks for listening. Please be safe, wear a mask, mask it or casket, no justice, no peace, solidarity. Go to ruinousmedia.com for other podcasts and merch and information. Bye.